Hey there, you're listening to the Water and Music Podcast. My name is Sherry Hu, and I'm a freelance writer focused on how technology is transforming music and culture. In this podcast, we unpack the fine print behind big ideas at the intersection of music and tech, with the goal of getting you thinking differently about how the music business works and where it might be going. Water Music Podcast is 100% ad-free and supported entirely by members on Patreon. We just surpassed 100 patrons contributing a total of $1,200 a month. If this is your first time hearing about the Patreon, you can join for as low as $1 a month at patreon.com slash In exchange, you'll get exclusive recaps from conferences, access to a Patreon-only Discord channel, polls on topics for future newsletter issues, and much more. Again, that's patreon.com slash Thanks so much again. Today's featured guest is Mike Warner, who's a good friend of mine in the music industry and wears a ton of different hats. He primarily advises on streaming and playlist strategy for artists and labels, and works in artist relations for the streaming analytics startup Chartmetric. He's also a producer himself with the indie electronic group Date Night, and so can speak to a lot of these strategies he's talking about from firsthand experience. He's materialized a ton of his insights in his own ebook, Work Hard, Playlist Hard, which you can find either online or at the top of the show notes of this podcast episode. Mike and I actually recorded our conversation at South by Southwest last week. We somehow mustered up the energy to get up at 9.30 in the morning and gather in this super secretive bar in the back of the W Hotel in Austin. Understandably, at the time of day, the bar was completely empty, which was perfect for us to talk and nerd out uninterrupted about streaming. But there is a bit of noise from a fan in the background, so please give any feedback if that feels disruptive to you in any way. As for the conversation itself, I personally have been a bit skeptical of where playlists are going lately, like whether they're truly a game-changing or innovative format anymore. So I was really excited to talk with Mike and get his take on the role that playlists really play in artists' careers. We debunk a lot of myths about what playlists can and cannot do. For instance, Mike would argue that it's better as an emerging artist to spend $500 on digital advertising than on paying a pitching service to maybe get your music placed on some third-party playlist. We also give a ton of tactical advice, such as how as an artist do you ensure that you're ready in the event of a high-profile placement on a playlist like New Music Friday? What's the infrastructure from a marketing and strategy perspective that you have to lay for yourself ahead of time? So there's a lot to dive into here, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hey Mike, thank you so much for joining on this podcast. Sherry, it's a pleasure. It's um. I can't believe we made it happen and we just had to fly all the way to Austin, Texas. <laughs> and uh, just so coincidentally, we're here during South by Southwest. Yes, definitely. <laughs> we are recording this from the W Hotel in Austin where they have a secret bar. I don't know if that's the actual official title, but it looks like a nightclub, like very dim mood lighting all red at like 9 30 in the morning it's great yeah it, it, it's quite fitting considering where we are right now and um that being said there does seem to be a few bands very close by in close proximity so if you hear some killer music in the background that's not actually one of us just having a jam in the corner <laughs> there, there are some bands warming up right now even though it is very early in the morning and only on the second coffee of the day. Yeah. Oh, early bird catches the worm, though. Gotta, gotta get that rehearsal in. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, I'm super excited for today's conversation, in part because in the past I've written a couple of pieces or newsletters and written a lot of things on Twitter that expressed some kind of skepticism around where playlists were going. Or, mm. like, I feel like for the past, like, four or five years, there's been, there's been this obsession with playlists, this increasing scrutiny of how you know Spotify, Apple Music, etc. are have sort of ushered in a lot of innovation around the playlist format with things like Discover Weekly, Release Radar, etc. But I wrote two things in particular that I want to bring up today. So mm-hmm. one is on Twitter. It was I think my only experience with like 15 minutes of virality, but it was making this claim that playlist placement is an artist development. 
Yeah. And I was making that claim because I was reading a bunch of pieces or talking with a lot of artists, hearing a lot of conversations that I think Im- had implied the opposite. By getting placed on Rap Caviar, by getting placed on any playlist of any size, you are developing your sound as an artist and you are advancing creatively. And I, I personally take the stance that, that that's not the case. And then I'd also written a newsletter about how we're entering this quote-unquote post-playlist world yeah. and taking the pulse of people's disillusionment with playlists being an effective marketing channel, both for major and for independent artists, being disillusioned maybe with just consumers' demand for the format and trying to think about what's next. And I wanted to bring up those topics with you, just given that so much of your work and the book that you've written, Work Hard, Playlist Hard, I feel like the underlying thesis is that playlists can still be a really important you know, core element of an artist's strategy in terms of how they market their music. So mm-hmm. I want to start off with that first of two elements I brought up that I've been thinking about, namely playlist placement being artist development or not being artist development. And I was wondering if you could talk about your philosophy around that. Like when you're writing this book and teaching playlist marketing strategies to artists, do you equate that with artist development or do you equate that with a different part of the growth process? Right. For me, Playlist placement is never guaranteed and it is part of a marketing plan, but it shouldn't be the entire marketing plan. And that's the problem that I've seen a lot of people have is they submit their music to editorial at Spotify and other streaming services and they feel that their work is done. And I go, you're not even close to done, especially if you're a DIY artist and you know, there's a lot more work you need to put in. I mean, if you're signed with a label, they're pushing your song to radio, you're probably still doing physical CDs as well if you're doing physical releases. There's a lot of extra things that you can be doing. And um, I've just seen people sit back and rely on it and just go, oh, well, I've, I've done my bit now. If I get placed in a playlist, I'm set. And you're definitely not set. I mean, yes, if you get added to Rap Caviar, if you get added to Today's Top Hits, New Music Friday, you're gonna get a significant number of streams but unless they convert into followers, you lose that audience as soon as you're off that playlist. So the, the whole thing that I say is, yes, it's important to push for these playlists, but it's not gonna make your career. Everything else combined is gonna make your career. You know, it's not just, if you've got a great song, but you don't know how to perform live, Obviously, you can get better at it, but you better get better fast because once you go on New Music Friday, if, if things are going to take off at that point, you need to be ready. Otherwise, you're going to drop off and you're going to go back, back to square one and, and you're going to have to start the whole process all over again. The other part that I wanted to add in there is a lot of artists are um, not quite ready. I've actually seen some people terrified of being added to New Music Friday mm. because of the, the pressure uh, that they feel on them because if they get in that playlist and obviously the, the mix of music is very broad. You've got hip hop, you've got rock, you've got country, it's all in there. So not everyone that listens to New Music Friday is going to like your music. Um, and people are terrified that if they get added and they get pulled out within hours or days on New Music Friday, which can happen, they're scared that that's it, it's over for them. And it's it's not the case at all because if you have a strategy in place, you got some streams on there and you know that, that's going to help with your numbers. It looks great. And you've still put in work elsewhere. So let's say you were on New Music Friday for one day and then you got pulled off, but you were added to a number of other playlists. That's going to help you out long term. And New Music Friday, the longest you can be in there is a week. Playlists, and I know we're probably going to jump into this shortly, but third-party playlists or tastemakers or independent curators, if you will, These are the people that can still help you out. They have a specific audience that trusts them and come to them because of their music curation. And they're likely to add you to a playlist where you may not get 100,000 streams in one day, but you could be in that playlist for up to a year. And it's a really well curated playlist that people keep returning to as well. Outside of that, I mentioned that it shouldn't be your entire strategy, just playlisting and obviously in the book, I mentioned that as well, that there is a lot of work that you can do on streaming services, but there's so much that you can do outside of there. And I, I talk about other options, not options, but other uh, potential outlets for your music as well, like background music services, otherwise known as Muzak to some people. Getting your music out, getting it in store, which can lead to Shazams, which can, which can lead to people then going and uh, actually having awareness and knowing who you are 
and then of course Shazam would encourage you to follow the artists and then they've taken your music with them home and, and then you've got a fan and a follower and you're going to be able to continue to reach them in the future. Thinking about this issue that a ton of artists have, you mentioned New Music Friday, the maximum time you can spend on that is a week. Rap Caviar is like, you're not spending you know months on the playlist and there's very little conversion in a lot of cases to actual followers, Yeah, which raises the general question of how do you build a playlist strategy that optimizes for fandom? Or mm. is that... Like, is that just a lost cause from the very beginning? Or is there something that you can do to maximize the conversion to followers through playlists? It, it is a hard one because uh, apart from that follow button, which is there, which I mean, you love music. I love music. If I hear an artist I like, I hit follow because I know that way, at the very least, they're going to appear in my release radar if mm -hmm. they're following the process. Mm -hmm. But not everyone does that. What I'm finding now is people follow a playlist and they don't even know who is on that playlist they just know i like this playlist i like mood booster that's that's my jam but they couldn't tell you any of the artists on that playlist yeah. so um it, it is it is hard to capture those followers but once you've got them like we said your music will slide into their release radars they may get an email blast from spotify telling telling them that your track is coming out uh there's there's a lot more opportunities there but for me what i say to an artist is i say have your profile optimized. So make it easy. So when I find an artist personally, I go straight to their profile on Spotify. And if they've got logged into Spotify for Artists, they've added their Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Wikipedia. So I can follow them on those platforms as well. And that way they've captured me in multiple ways. I get to, I get to see Instagrams about what they're up to and a bit more insight into what they're about and, and their process. And then on Twitter, you, you get their opinions as well. And uh, a lot of artists are very strongly opinionated about the music industry right now. So I, I love seeing that. And um, what I find is a lot of artists are getting really... I'm trying to think of the word here. It's too, too early in the morning. <laughs> Only coffee number two. So a lot of artists are really pushing uh, on social media through retargeting and sponsored posts to try and catch the, that audience that maybe has heard their music on Spotify. And of course, there's no way of knowing who that person is who listened to your track. But at the very least, you know where the most popular cities are for your music. So at least if you're going on Facebook or Instagram, you can target people who live in that city, who like artists that are related to you, and you might connect with a few of them and they might recognize your track from that short clip that you use in the post. And by you asking them to follow you, you're, you're actually you're kind of directing them. You're saying, if you like our music, follow us and we're always going to be in your release radar or we're always going to be in your new music mix or whatever else there is by the time this podcast comes out mm -hmm. it's 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 always changing <laughs> um so yeah basically getting followers is hard you have to just do a cold outreach basically as mm. as far as i'm concerned on social media you have an idea of what your audience may look like where they're located you might have gender age so you can really target um, and then just keep in mind that most of these platforms, you know who your related artists are. So you know that, mm. let's, let's say there's an artist who may be, may be a little further along in their career than you are, maybe people are following them on social media and that way you're targeting their audience who in turn, some of them may also be fans of you, they just haven't hit follow yet. Mm -hmm. Going back to an earlier concept you talked about of an artist being ready or not ready for a specific playlist placement, that's especially interesting to me. And you just talked about optimizing your profile mm -hmm. such that you know people who are interested in learning more can learn more in as frictionless of a way as possible. Is there anything else that artists can do either on a streaming service or not, or outside of the streaming ecosystem that can maximize their readiness for like a new music friday placement such that they're not completely overwhelmed like is there a specific level of groundwork that you think is necessary for that like to be the most prepared i i feel like if you go on new music friday yes someone at the editorial team your song has come across their desk somehow they've discovered it the next thing they're going to do is they're going to look at your social media and search for your website and see how active you are and um I, I got to be honest, I, I don't know if they would reach out to you if you haven't at least just gone and uploaded some images and put in even the smallest bio on your profile. 
because they they might as far as they know you might not even pay attention if they add you you might not even know as far as they're concerned which mm. um i mean yes obviously have have your social media have have all the usual suspects your facebook twitter instagram even if you're not that active on there just go on there and do a recent post and and have some photos have a bio and make sure that all of your links are correct because the amount of times that I'll go to somebody's Facebook and then click the link to their YouTube and it's an old link that that channel is now closed down or, or whatever, um, or their SoundCloud is a really old username that doesn't exist anymore. Mm. Um, outside of that, I, I always say never stop creating. So you should at least have made a start on your next track anyway, or if not, you have a bunch of material that's nearly ready to put out. So... Just keep that in mind that if you have a track and it goes on New Music Friday and it goes on other playlists and it gets supported and um, people people start paying attention to you, they're going to be coming to you looking for more. So have that content ready. I think that's most important because mm. that's if, if somebody discovers you, that's what they're looking for next. They go, I want more from this artist. And if you already have a few songs out, that's great because they can find that on your profile straight away. You've created an artist playlist. You've got all of your music there and you've put it in the order that you would like them to listen. Just basically, just keep feeding that content out and having it for them. And when I say content, I mean songs. Um, no, not social media posts, of course. <laughs> now I do want to touch on the sprawling ecosystem of third-party playlist curators and mm. right before doing this recording we talked about this notion of these quote-unquote ANRs going into these LinkedIn groups or other groups on social media and saying hey uh, unsigned artists who want to get exposure you can pay ten dollars or more to submit your music to me and it may or may not be added to my playlist or to you know whatever other channel I use yep. to reach my audience and there is still that perception that it is very much pay to play very much spammy in some cases where they break Spotify's terms of service like Spotify shutting down third-party playlisting apps I'm thinking from the artist perspective what is the best way to navigate this in a way that's cost effective and also just effective in terms of reaching the right people right like without finding yourself in a situation where you are paying to try to get your tracks to the right people yeah what i always say to any artist that's looking to spend money to get on these third party playlists is don't expect roi don't expect a good return on your investment because if you spend a thousand dollars you're not necessarily going to make a thousand dollars back in streaming um, mm. And if you do, it could be over six months or a year because you, it gave you a little kickstart and then uh, you started to feed the algorithms, you got on more playlists, more people discovered you. But the concern right now is that there's so many uh, businesses, I guess, coming up and saying, we'll get you on playlists, we'll charge this much money. And what they do is, it, for me, a lot of them are really just a cash grab. They come in and they take your money and... For a lot of artists, it's it's more money than they've even ever made in mm. streaming, mm -hmm. and, which is just heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And they take your money and then they go away and they add you to a few playlists and they come back and it looks great. You've been added to four playlists with 200,000 followers each. That's fantastic. That sounds great. And then two weeks go by and you realize you've acquired maybe 100 streams from those playlists. And um, you've basically just paid to, to get... 10 20 unique listeners on your song and that's it and then of course what happens with some of these businesses is they have a gmail address and a paypal account and they're impossible to track down and then they've gone and they've started it up under another name so what i say is there are legitimate ones out there and when for those people what you'd find is they have a linkedin profile they have a facebook profile you're probably going to have at least one mutual connection that you can ask for a reference and just say do they actually have some good connections with independent curators and third-party playlist curators? What are their results like? And one thing about this is there's no guarantees. Just right. putting that right out there. There's no guarantees that if you went up and paid somebody and they took your song to a bunch of these curators, there's no guarantees that you're going to be added because if they're good curators, they're only going to add music if it fits and if it's a great song. So because of that, a lot of people sort of become a little more scarce about the whole process as well and um, 
I, what I say is I go, look, it's all complimentary. As in, if you're doing the right thing, you're submitting your music to the editorial team in Spotify for Artists. I know we've said Spotify a lot, but um, obviously the Spotify for Artists editorial submission tool is available to anyone that has a song coming out. Mm -hmm. So if you do that, then that side of it is done. You don't need to pay anyone to submit your music to Spotify editorial and don't ever trust anyone that says that they do that because that's, they're BSing you. Um, but outside of that, the, these, other, these other places, so my, my advice is do your research. If they don't have a legit email address, they don't have a LinkedIn profile, they, they don't have a real first and last name, um, they're asking for payment on PayPal and then they say that you'll see results within two weeks. I'd be very wary, to be honest. I, I would prefer to spend that money on advertising instead and um, do some targeted advertising. I mean, if you're prepared to spend $500 to promote your track, you're probably gonna see some better results and see some real listeners from actually running those ads instead mm. because you can really target your audience. The, the other thing that you mentioned is there's these pay to play and there's these payola, and, or playola, some people refer to it as as mm -hmm. well. Look, everyone knows what these playlists are because they're, so off genre in in ways it's not funny so i had a guy recently and i'm not going to name his name of course but uh he 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 creates hip-hop and um he came up to me and said that he paid to get on a playlist and i said okay why and he said oh, it was the only way i could get on there and i said did you get results and he goes yeah i got twenty thousand streams for uh four hundred dollars and i was on the playlist for two weeks and i go well i don't think you even broke even on that um, <laughs> but more importantly, do you know who any of those 20,000 people were? And he goes, no, but I got those streams and it looks good. And I go, have you got any other playlist ads as a result? And he said, no. Okay. Okay. What was the playlist called? And he said, uh, the Moana soundtrack. <laughs> and I, and I said, oh my God. Okay. There's your problem right there. And, and this isn't targeting anyone specifically. If you go on uh, Spotify, you'll see that there's thousands of playlists with Moana in the title. Uh, same with any other popular movie out there. But It's like playlist SEO. Yeah, so <laughs> if you're listening right now, this may not be an attack on you if you're actually a fan of Moana and you've got a playlist. But if you put a hip-hop track in there, it could be about you. Um, but yeah, so he was on this playlist and I just said, have you listened to the rest of the playlists? I mean... This track's actually explicit for one, which doesn't really fit mm. within the soundtrack from a family film. And th there's another one on here where there's an artist who released an album and all 20 songs of the album were dragged in this playlist in order. There's nobody that is actually listening and enjoying this playlist, which means where those streams are coming from are probably not real people. So you haven't actually got any fans, even if it says you have 20,000 monthly listeners now. They're not real people, they're robots. Mm -hmm. um, I actually saw a post recently which I stole and reposted and it was uh, <laughs> one of these uh, stream factories I guess we could say and it was literally a bunch of old uh, phones on a wall uh, taped onto the wall oh, with I Spotify open and, and, and yeah. I just looked at that and I said this is what your fans look like if you buy plays mm. and, and then imagine what happens because the next step in your career is you, you go out and you start touring and nobody's going to be coming to these shows. You're not, you're not going to have a bunch of phones in the room rocking out to your tune. <laughs> so invest your money more wisely, do your research, and the return is going to be a lot better. You may not see as many streams, but at least they're real people. And um, I always say every stream is important. Every, every listener, because you don't know who they, are, who they are, that makes it even more exciting because... You could get 20 listeners on a track. You could be really disheartened. One of them could be a music supervisor for a major network and they happen to love your song and they may be trying to contact you. So you don't know who your listeners are until they come up to you. I kind of like that. It's, um, mm -hmm. it's, it's good and bad kind of is what you're getting at, right? Yeah. Like if you, I guess on one hand, you, don't, you never know who's listening. 
Um, and you never know what kind of opportunities come up, and which is which is a good thing about casting a relatively wider net in terms of playlisting, right? And like reaching a wider potential audience. But then one question I want to ask is related to as an artist, how you gauge the quality of playlists, given that the analytics are not that transparent right now at all, right? So if you think about a third-party playlist curator on Spotify, for instance, mm-hmm. from my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong. You don't get any analytics, really, aside from how many followers you have, maybe. Or like you can see how many streams, obviously, you know, a track on, on your playlist has. But in terms of understanding your audience, it's, it's against Spotify's incentives as a company to give those analytics to you because they want to keep all that in-house and they want to dominate the, the curation market in terms of like the playlist on their homepage, right? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. And, and I understand that completely. I mean, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's a good business move, yeah. Yeah, abs- absolutely. And you're, you're correct. There, there's no tools as such. There's no analytics for uh, a playlist curator or a user to be able to look and see how well songs are performing on their playlist. Um, the closest is if you go to a playlist and you go to a song that's been in that playlist, let's say for five days or more, and, and it's, it's at the top of that playlist, you can click on the artist's name Go to their profile, and on the about page, it will show a little section called "Discovered on." That's true. Yeah. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it will show how many unique listeners have been delivered from that playlist. Mm-hmm. So, a unique listener is a, a, a complete—you know—it's a completely unique person. So, if you have ten unique monthly listeners, that's ten different people. Some of them could have listened twice, five times, ten times. Um, but you know that there's at least that many unique people that have listened to that track from that playlist. Mm-hmm. So that's one way. And then, of course, as you go down the playlist, you realize that those numbers drop further and further because not everyone listens to a playlist start to finish. Some people shuffle as well. I've been fortunate enough that some artists will actually go into Spotify for Artists or Apple Music for Artists and they will send me a screenshot and show me how many streams they got from being on the playlist, which is fantastic because I know that I've helped in in some capacity and perhaps reach a new audience and um, get some new fans as well. And Mm. it's really nice and I encourage artists to do that with the curators uh, because they don't have access to this, so they don't know how much they're helping you a lot of the time. I mean, they do it for the love. They do it because they want you to reach their audience and they want to connect you with their audience. But by sharing that information with them and just saying, hey, did you know that you got me 2,000 monthly listeners um, mm, from your mm, playlist alone? Mm. That you know that means so much to them because a lot of these curators, they're not making any money at yeah. all. They, they're purely, yeah. they come home from work, they listen to music because they love music and they're adding songs in there it's nice to know that they're helping and um, making it making a difference for some artists as well. Definitely. And that kind of interaction and relationship is mutually beneficial, right? Like the artist getting a ton of new listeners and then sending that data back to the curator so that they can grow their own business and their own ventures as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. Just hearing everything you were saying earlier as well about the fact that there are no guarantees. ROI is not the mindset you should necessarily go into um, when you're navigating, especially the third party playlist ecosystem. All of that language I've heard in the world of PR as well, generally, right? Like if you hire a publicist to try to push your song to all these different media outlets, there are tons of cases where you either don't get a placement at all or you do, but the impact really isn't that significant in terms of, you know, actually getting new listeners, getting new audiences. Yeah. So, so do you see playlist marketing as blurring or just the same as PR generally? It's similar in some ways, absolutely, because PR, and and correct me if I'm wrong or if I've I've left out part of the process here, of course, but uh, PR is is a lot more than just paying somebody to take your track and hand it. Uh, PR can also include doing a press release, doing a one sheet, and then uh, sure. Mm-hmm. You know, a nice, a nice summary of your track and, and all of the information on one page. And then they could be taking that and getting you blog exposure, which is great because blogs can lead to playlists as well. But blogs can also lead to radio and blogs can lead to other opportunities and sync once again uh, mm-hmm. as well. And uh, blogs are actually, I, I think people are more likely to follow you if they find you on a blog because they hear your song for one. They hear a little about the story. They feel more connected to you. The next step is to hit follow and uh, you know sort of see what see what else is available from that artist and and that's when you've converted them over to a fan, 
outside of that, I mean, PR as well, depending on who you're using, they can help with radio and everything else. Uh, they can also help out with interview opportunities, which is great because you get to people get to hear a little bit more about you and your process and and uh, what inspired you to create the type of music you create. Mm-hmm. And I, I I say this a lot, but I, I think everything is complementary. So it, it's you shouldn't put all your money in into um, one one service or, or um, you know rely on purely one person to help you out. You know, a lot of artists out there, if they stay independent, they hire a team, and they and everyone has a different role that's assigned to them. And um, so there's one person who purely focuses on playlist pitching. There's one person who focuses on media coverage. There's one person who focuses on radio. But in the early stages, you're going to be doing a lot of that work yourself and until you start to see some income where you can start to reinvest that and, and grow your team as such. But that, that's why a lot of artists still look to labels today as well because everyone... Mm. Everyone always says, oh, why, why do I need a label? I can do this myself. And I go, well, you can, but are you still going to have time to create music? Do you, do you have the reach that a label has? You know, you, you need to weigh it up. I mean, the way I see it is labels have a lot of value that they can bring, but there's some people who can actually still go out and achieve that without a label because they understand how much work is involved. So mm. you, you're going to go one way or the other. You're going you're gonna to get to the point where you assemble your own team as you grow and you're going to stay independent, someone like Chance, uh, Chance the Rapper, of course, or you're going to go and sign with a major and then you can just purely focus on songwriting, creating and touring and you've got a team behind you that are going to do all that work. And yes, they're going to take a cut, but you know, if, if you're getting 1 million streams and you're getting 100% of that revenue or you're getting 100 million streams and you're getting 50% of that revenue, what would you prefer? So th- mm. there's arguments for both sides there as well. Yeah, no, this is a whole other conversation that I've, I've actually heard come up at South by Southwest a lot. But yeah, this would be an entirely separate episode of the, the DIY utopia mm. and like all the costs that come with that. Playlist pitching being just one part of that, right? Like the more value you keep as an artist, the more work you have to do. Like, yeah. it, like not to bring in like a nerdy scientific illusion but energy cannot be created or destroyed right like work cannot be created or destroyed if someone else isn't doing the work then you are and yeah. it's like it's all a matter of how to balance that right so the last question i wanted to ask about the whole playlist ecosystem before moving on to the last segment mm-hmm. is inspired by this recent blog post on media Research's website written by this man named keith jopling and he was questioning the future of innovation around the playlist format itself And he put together a really interesting chart showing the different kinds of formats that have come out on these various streaming services over time, which is so interesting to see because even today people are lauding the accomplishments of of playlists like Discover Weekly and their impact on a whole range of artists in terms of reaching new listeners, which is amazing. But that was founded back in 2015. Like, it's not anything new. And we're still, you know, trying to grapple with its effects. And Release Radar the Daily Mix collection on Spotify, the Time Capsule, a lot of other like copycat playlists that have since come out of Apple Music, Deezer, etc. Like all of that is concentrated around 2016, 2017. Mm-hmm. And there haven't really been many other kinds of formats that have come out ever since. And I think like Spotify has a new genre bending playlist called Pollen that just came out last year. But aside from that, like there aren't really that many, or Spotify now has like a, selection of horoscope playlists yeah. but, but the, these are all around themes and in terms of how music is actually curated and contextualized in my mind and also in Keith's mind like the author of this blog post there hasn't really been that much innovation so the, there's a question of like what's the next step and I've talked with some people working at labels who are becoming disillusioned with the overemphasis on playlist marketing and are directing more and more of their resources as a result towards social media, like Instagram, Snap, etc., working with influencers or, or doing something beyond just the streaming world that is being perceived as 
stale. Like there's mm. th th there's a reason that you hear the phrase playlists are the new radio. So as I wrote about in my newsletter, it's not just because of their impact. It's because the format seems so. I, I don't want to say stuck because the content is dynamic, but it's stuck in just in a particular format. Yeah. Which, yeah, like, it just raises the question of what's next. I don't know if you have any thoughts on, like, how the conventional playlist format could improve. What are opportunities for innovation for bringing in different kinds of variables and how you curate music? I see it becoming more of a your life is curated. Um, and oh so my what, gosh. What, I, what I mean by that is these platforms, they have a lot of data relating to what your favorite song is to listen to in the morning to get you motivated. Um, obviously, if you have location services on, they may know that you go to the gym on certain mornings, things like that. It, it's kind of scary, but at the same time, you know that you gave them access to this. So wouldn't it be neat if every morning it knew that when you get in your car and you're driving to the gym, let's start playing this song for you. When you get there, as soon as you get to that location, the next song is your pump-up jam that gets you motivated. And then after the gym, you listen to your favorite podcast, Water and Music. Um, <laughs> and, uh, <Thank> you. <laughs> there you go. And, um, you know, and your day is just curated for you. And it's your own personal uh, all-day playlist that just keeps going. Because I've already seen examples of this where when you land in a new city, Spotify says, welcome to Austin. Here's some playlists with some local music. Yeah. And then uh, you get back to your hotel and uh, the next morning it's... Um, morning meditation and uh you know wake up and relax with this because it, it knows that you woke up at 6 a.m and you're looking at spotify and then of course you've got your uh, commute playlist which come on after 4 p.m as well um so i i really think it is going to go into an all-day curation situation and as i mentioned i don't think it's going to be just music i think it's going to know that you like to hear your podcasts and it's going to slide those in there as well mm -hmm. i mean personally i would love that because a mix of podcasts and music throughout the day is, you know, what keeps me going and keeps me motivated. I, I listen to a podcast and then uh, I listen to some songs and I'd like to see it head in that direction. Mm, for sure you see early inklings of this. Yeah, in the way that Spotify curates your homepage based on the time of day, based on your location, based on activities. Yeah. Um, and I'm wondering what role you think these like activity and mood-centric playlists just like workout playlists for instance right yeah do you see those kinds of playlists playing a positive role in like an artist marketing strategy for instance do you see mood playlists as something that artists can target to positive results in terms of getting followers or is it just a matter of racking up streams and racking up revenue in the short term I mean, targeting these playlists, yes, there's streams, which is great, but it's not really a long-term goal. You, you really need to capture those followers long-term for that to happen. And, and once they're following you, that's how you can keep coming back up into their feed. So, you know, it, obviously, if this goes ahead with the, this all-day curation, then that would be one way that you'd be able to hit them and you, you could be their morning pump-up jam. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think that getting in a playlist is great, but it, it's not going to change your career at that moment it's going to help you with some numbers it's going to give you some revenue but it's still on you to keep working and and keep reaching back out you know don't just sit back and expect that because you got added to new music friday that you're set now because you're not you're far from it you have to put in more work than ever when that happens yeah and i feel like the new music friday pillar that doesn't even belong in this vision of your life is curated right because like yeah. in in that world who cares if it's friday like who cares if you released your music on this day like sure maybe there might be one day that everyone aims for but the user more than ever is kind of the core around which all this curation revolves right yeah. instead of it being like a top down hey we released this now now push this out yeah so for the last 10 minutes as normal for this podcast, I'd love to talk about recent music news that we think are overrated and or underrated. Mm -hmm. And the piece of news that I had in mind myself, I think was actually announced at South by Southwest. There was a team of music people from Facebook who were here, and I think they announced that they launched in a lot of new markets or secured licensing deals to operate in a lot of new markets, particularly in India, I believe, which is one of Facebook's fastest growing markets, in Thailand as well, Vietnam, and a lot of markets in, in Southeast Asia. And I think it's to build up their music offerings, some of which have already been announced, like Lip Sync Live, mm -hmm. which is like, you know, a live lip sync competitor to what was formerly known as Musical.ly and is now housed under TikTok. And I think this piece of news is 
overrated. The reason being, I don't really know Facebook's positioning in the music space. Like, yes, they have so much of the population on their platform, right? Yep. And they're like the world's biggest social platform in terms of scale, but their content plays have not been that convincing to me. So if you just look at video, for instance, they yeah. had this whole video platform called Facebook Watch that got a ton of publishers on board and they invested a lot in video content that just did not get that much engagement at all. And there's a huge percentage of the user base that didn't even know it existed, yeah. right? So I don't see how music is really any different. I, I do understand the opportunity. It's like similar to YouTube. But yeah, like the whole content ID play. If music is being included in user-generated content, being able to monetize that for sure could do wonders, especially for independent artists that might not have access to like a major label licensing yeah. infrastructure in that sense. But I just don't see them making the meaningful dent in music consumption itself, given that their strategy is so reliant on video, which is a market that YouTube has cornered for sure. Yeah. Um, even Twitter. Like I feel like there's so many videos being shared on Twitter that have music behind them. That, that are not tagged with any kind of content ID. Like, I don't think Twitter has any licensing deals in no. place with, with a major. So, like, that might be, based on, like, daily user engagement, that might even be the, the bigger opportunity that I see right now. But, yeah, so in short, I think it's overrated just because of the lack of a convincing use case, I think, that will make a dent in the industry. I don't, I don't know if you agree or, like, what your impressions are. Yeah, look, yeah. I mean, I'm all, I'm all for it. Any, any opportunity to monetize my music on another platform, I, I'm all about it. Mm -hmm. um, what I can see is when Spotify first launched, people forget that Spotify used to be more social. Uh, you could actually so message true. people and you could say, you, you know, so you'd add friends from Facebook into Spotify. You'd message them with a link to your track and go, hey, I used to work with you five years ago. I released a track. Would you mind playing <laughs> it? Um, and, and, you know, follow me. And, um, you know, everyone was all about that hustle. And then that completely changed and it became less social. Whereas other platforms like um, Deezer, for example, Deezer has uh, Twitter and Facebook Instagram. Um, integration so that you actually pull those feeds in and people can comment within Deezer as well. So I, I feel like with Facebook being, you know, obviously social networking, if there's a way that they do it and they do it right, it could work. I, my concern is, is it too late? Yeah. And given the link between music and social networking, I feel like this is part of why if you look at China, for instance, so Tencent owns both the country's biggest messaging app, WeChat, and controls like 60-70% of the music market with all their services. And so that's an easy way for them to, in to integrate those two together, right? And then in Japan, Line is sort of the competitor or analog to WeChat in Japan. It's like a mess mobile messaging app. And they also have their own streaming service, which has not been growing as quickly, but does have uh, a pretty substantial subscriber base and they integrate music like into like line profiles, social profiles, mm. a lot more seamlessly. And I feel like just in those markets that both the culture around sharing music like that and just the ownership, right, of like both being under the same company allows for that to gain a lot more traction. Whereas it's so interesting that Spotify and Facebook did rely a lot on each other early on in that sense to enhance like the perception of their own brands as being more social and yeah, Spotify is very much retracted from that. And I would say like the, the Western music streaming landscape at large has emphasized full on individualism. Yeah. Like, you know, your life is curated and so you're the only person who matters. And yes, you will see a fee on, on the side, but that doesn't take privacy at all. Yeah. yeah. I'd love to hear from you about yeah, the sure. news. Yeah, sure. Look, mine is more uh, from an artist's perspective. I'm really, I don't, it's somewhere in the middle. It's not overrated. It's not underrated. Okay. It's been in the news, but Spotify launching in India. Uh, okay. For me, obvi yeah. obviously, Saban, now Geo Saban, is, um, was there first. And uh, for anyone that doesn't know who they are, they're still massive and they're still there. And if you're an artist, get your music on Geo Saban. But Spotify launching in India, obviously, there was a lot of positive press and a lot of negative press and a lot of people just... Uh, Pretty, what seemed like making things up, basically. It just, uh, you know, a lot of clickbait out there. But at the end of the day, the major labels are... Uh, their music is becoming available on there and there's already a lot of local artists there whose music is available and for independent artists your distributor is pushing your music to spotify they're not going to hold back from adding that so if you're using your cd babies distro kids whoever you're using your music is going to be available on spotify in india uh, what i've found and a lot of artists that i've spoken with is that 
India is very fast becoming one of their top locations as far as um, users that are actually unique uh, users that are streaming their music. It just goes to show that, I mean, it's, it's a big place. There's a lot of people there. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, even if you hit 1% of the market, that's, that, that's a big deal. And um, a lot of people are starting to now recognize that they actually had an audience in India that they didn't know about until there was a way to actually track it. And with Spotify's analytics, they can actually see that and see that they do in fact have an audience out there. I mean, um, I know I've had music in iTunes charts in previous years in India. And, um, you know, obviously that's great, but with Spotify, you can get down more to city level and um, you can really start to drill in and see perhaps there's potential there to go and do a tour and and, um, try and reach out to that audience as well. Because, I mean, look at Marshmallow recently, played India for the first time, had no idea how popular he was there. I mean, yes, okay, he had some idea. (laughs) He's Marshmallow. But uh, played India for the first time and just absolutely smashed it and and said, I need to to do this more often. And, uh, you know, I I had fans I didn't realize and, you know, packed out an arena with lines for miles. So... Mm -hmm. I'd say it's between underrated and overrated Spotify in India. I'm excited about it personally. I love it when music is made available on more platforms in more countries mm. uh, because you get to reach an audience that you either didn't know you had or you weren't able to reach before and now they can finally discover your music as well. Mm. Yeah, I agree. It's somewhere in the middle and just to add elements to both sides. So one reason why I think it might be overrated. Well, it's not overrated so much as really a challenge for Spotify is that GeoSavin. So those were previously two separate services and then they merged, right? And Savin already had a huge user base as an independent music streaming service, but Geo, like Reliance Geo, is also one of the biggest telcos in the country. Mm. And they have, thinking about what makes the Indian music market unique, compared to a lot of neighboring countries is that the cost of data is like essentially going down to zero, right? And so the barrier to entry of people starting to stream music on their mobile phones without having to eat up so much, you know, data is the barrier is just so much lower, which leads to this much quicker adoption of streaming. And people have talked about how they essentially skipped over like a lot of physical formats altogether and now are just like streaming immediately. And so that in part explains why telcos own so much of the music market. This is the case in India, the case in China, and a lot of markets in, in Asia as well. And Spotify, if you think about quote-unquote pure play services, so like the ones that don't have other revenue streams to benefit from, like Spotify and Deezer, Deezer especially, they, they've had to rely so much on deals with telcos, uh, yeah. like, like, like third-party partnerships. And they don't really have control over that kind of audience. So I I think that would be a growing challenge for Spotify as well. And another element to add to that. So I think Spotify released like the the top 10 artists or playlists that were being streamed in India. And they're all, almost all Western artists. Yeah. Which is interesting to me because I I think right before they launched in India, they'd announced a very high profile deal with T-Series. Being like, oh, now we have a deal with India's biggest record label. We're going to have all this great Bollywood content. Mm -hmm. We're going to curate it around more like films, right? And people discovering music through films. Like there's a lot of potential innovation around that. But I think a lot of the artists that ended up being in like the, the top 10 most streamed were all on like Spotify owned playlists like today's top hits or like they were just on these massive playlists that happened to be on the homepage. So like one question that comes to mind is, yes, artists are finding audiences in India, absolutely, that, that they didn't see before. But as a wider platform, how representative will Spotify be of how music consumers in India are like discovering and I guess consuming new new music and new artists especially versus a platform like Geo7 or a lot of other competing services in the market in terms of figuring out what the different mix of like artists and genres and SKUs will be across the services will be super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I I think bundling is going to be even more common. Uh, You know, we saw Spotify and Hulu. Uh, Yeah. You know, that's not new, but uh, it was more more public recently that now any Spotify premium user in the US, I should mention in the US, gets Hulu included in their $10 or $9.99 per month subscription. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's no surprise that Apple are looking to announce their own uh, streaming service soon where they actually start streaming video content. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't... You know, I'm only speculating here. I don't know exactly what it's going to be, but rumors I've heard are it's going to be similar to Netflix. And, um, 
you know, and then like you said, with all these uh, cellular network providers um, doing bundling as well. So Sprint with uh, Tidal and, you know, the list goes on. It's just, yep. it's, um, it's going to be interesting to see if, if that's what really helps to keep them in the game is um, by having either the app pre-installed like Spotify on uh, Android devices. Yeah, on um, Samsung, Samsung devices. Yeah. Samsung, I should say, to be mm -hmm. specific. Yep. Mm -hmm. and, and seeing if that really makes a difference because we know when Apple Music first launched, everyone got Apple Music for free mm. and it was already on your phone. Mm. So their, their, their user base went up very quickly. Um, and, and now, you know, obviously everyone's had the opportunity to try it. So now retention is, is where their focus is. And I, I feel like that's why they're, you know, going to start bundling and bringing these new services on because they want mm. to be your complete source for entertainment. So you, you've got your Apple TV, you've got your Apple HomePod, you've got your Apple phone, you've got music, you've got everything delivered by Apple. It's going to be interesting to yeah. see what's next. I feel mm. like it's a whole nother conversation. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. And just to, so just to close out this episode, is there anything that you're working on right now that you would want to share or that you'd want to promote? I get the opportunity for a shameless plug here. Oh yeah, yes. Wow, <laughs> I, I wasn't really prepared for that. Um, <laughs> instead of plugging anything specific, I'd just say that connect with me on social media because I'm very active on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, my handle is at AskMikeWarner, A-S-K-M-I-K-E-W-A-R-N-E-R. Outside of that, you can also reach me on my website, AskMikeWarner.com. And uh, you, you mentioned my book before. I appreciate that plug you got in there. Work hard, playlist hard. Uh, that's out online. It's digital only for the fact that the music industry changes every week. So the book gets updated very frequently. Mm. And I, I'm able to actually push those updates to users' devices if they purchase on Apple Books or Gumroad. So if you, if you do purchase a book and the industry changes tomorrow, uh, just make sure you have updates turned on and I'll keep you updated. That's awesome. Like the book is software in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much. This is such a great conversation. Thank you, Sherry. Thank you so much for listening to episode three of the Water and Music podcast. If you like what you hear, I would greatly appreciate you giving me a positive five-star review on Apple Podcasts, which would be a huge help for discoverability. You can also follow the podcast on Spotify or on whatever other listening platforms you prefer. And again, if you're interested in giving any kind of financial support, you can fund this podcast on Patreon for as low as $1 a month by visiting patreon.com slash Thanks a ton to Postmodern Disco for the amazing intro and outro music you're listening to right now. Again, to Mike Warner for the awesome conversation and to all of you for your support. Until next time.